0: That is always our prayer, isn't it, as we turn to the Word of God, that we would first and foremost see Jesus. And if we do see ourselves, and there will be a bit of that in God's Word for us this morning, it is only in the sense that we might see ourselves in the light of our desperate need for Jesus. Our need, his supply. That's our focus as we turn to Psalm 40 this morning. Every mom in this room knows about the neediness of children. The neediness of children is present in this room. And it is a delightful thing. Dads know this too, but not quite the same way as moms. How many of our little ones do you suppose kept mom awake last night? He needed to be fed. And she just needed comfort. And dad maybe ran in there, but the child said, where's mom? Even Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings with little kids are high drama, aren't they? And it's part comedy, and it's part tragedy, and it's a wonderful thing. Why is it that way? It's because children are, by nature, needy. And I've been reminded of this looking at grandchildren. I don't know if I've mentioned that we have grandchildren <laughs> They get a little bit older, and they're very eager to pronounce that they are no longer needy. I'm Thinking of a certain little girl, no, she doesn't need help with that spoon anymore. There's food all over her face, and up in her hair, and behind her on the wall, you know. <laughs> little boy, I, I don't need you to put my shoes on anymore, and they're both, both on, the shoes are on the wrong feet. Neither foot has a sock on it. He doesn't need any help, though. How many of you have said to your own parents, I know it was that way when you were young, Mom. Dad, I know that was your experience, but it's different now. Haven't you heard? Here's the thing. Every one of God's kids in this room, whether nine years old or 90 years old, knows what it is to be needy. And every one of God's kids in this room knows what it is to pretend otherwise. So God comes to us in His Word this morning. And He says to us, You, all of you who are my children, stop pretending. It's not cute anymore. And God comes to us in his word this morning and exposes the lie of our self-sufficiency. And he shows us the wonderful smile of his all-sufficiency for us. But I am poor and needy, sings the psalmist. But (laughs) yet the Lord thinks upon me. How wonderful and how radical is the cry of neediness from a child of God because it is only in response to the cry of his needy kids that God says, I'm already on it. I am sufficient. I already thought about that. I think of you always. So let me ask you this before we even get started, and we haven't started yet. Do you live as one who is needy before God? Or do you live the lie that you are self-sufficient? Psalm 40 confronts us with our neediness, and it gladly commends to us the one who became poor and needy for us. And joyfully comforts us with his daily sufficiency for us. And so let's just read uh, beginning in verse 1, Psalm 40. Let's just remember where we've been. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me, and he heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my steps. He's put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. And your law is within my heart. I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips. O oh, Lord, you yourself know. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness or your, and your truth from the great assembly. Now, if it seems like you've just read that passage, it's because you have. We looked at that last week, didn't we? Here is David remembering that he was once hopelessly stuck in a horrible pit. Do you remember that? And we decided last week that stuckness is an actual word, right? Just for the purpose of looking at this psalm. He's remembering a season of great um, stuckness, if you will. Clay has a Claw like grasp on him, and David waited and waited and waited upon God. And remember what that means. It's not just that time passed by. Time is going to pass by no matter what. David served God as he awaited deliverance, and God, as always, came through. God is loyal in His love for His children. Amen. And we saw last week that this wonderful song by the king named David is at times a song of the king of kings, the greater David. And we saw that verses 6 through 8 are to do with Jesus. And Hebrews 10 made that very clear to us. It says in verse 5 of Hebrews 10, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said... Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. The volume of what book? The volume of this book. Including this book of Psalms that we've been spending some time in lately. It's all to do with Jesus. The whole book is to do with Jesus. He is the blessed man of Psalm 1, isn't he? He is the anointed king of Psalm 2. He is the good shepherd of Psalm 23. So the writer of Hebrews is quoting from Psalm 40 in the Septuagint, the Greek rendering of the Old Testament. And that's why this little phrase in verse 6, my ears you have opened, uh, is translated as a figure of speech, a, a, an idiom, if you will, referring to the whole body. A body you have prepared for me. What, what is this body prepared? Well, remember, David gives voice to the Lord's anointed, the Messiah, our Savior, Jesus, doesn't he? Jesus was born into time. Jesus was born into humanity. Jesus lived out his days in a body prepared for him. Christ's humanity was and is a humanity planned from eternity past. And in his body, Jesus did what? He only delighted to do the will of the Father. Look, look at verse 8 of Psalm 40. I delight to do your will, oh my God. Your law is within my heart. Christ was and is now. Don't miss that. Holiness in humanity. The one perfect man. And Jesus humbly and powerfully bore your sins and my sins at Calvary in that perfect, sinless body of His. And to run to Him by faith is to receive His perfection, His righteousness credited to you. Has that happened in your life? Are you clothed in the righteousness of Christ? To be saved is to be forgiven and clothed in the very righteousness of Jesus who, in that body prepared for him, made it possible for you to draw near to God on friendly terms and to belong to his eternal kingdom. And just think of the wonder of this. Today there is a man in heaven, God in the flesh, whose name is Jesus, and he is interceding for you who are his people right now, ruling and reigning over all things in your life and in his world, and one day all things are to be brought into subjection to him. Do you believe this? He's preparing a place for his people even now. And whatever you got going on in your life right now, be sure of this. He's preparing you for that, for that place. Are you depending on this Jesus? For your rescue from God's wrath for sin. I asked you this last week, I'll ask you again. Think about what you've done with the body prepared for you. A body designed for you to live out your days bringing glory to God. And you think about what you've done with your heart and your mind and your lips and your hands and your feet. And you you just got to ask yourself, um, hasn't quite a bit of that been an offense to God? Been a distortion of the image of God in humanity? And I urge you. If you've not yet done so, run to Christ. He is your only shelter from God's wrath for sin. He is the gate of righteousness. Do you remember that from Psalm 118? Tell me you remember that. Who goes through that gate of righteousness? Any who come to Christ by faith. And if your answer is, you know, I've done so. By God's grace, I belong to this Jesus. He is my Savior and my King. Then I urge you to consider this. And this is really the beginning of the message, okay? So reset your timepieces. <laughs> Why are God's kids then so quick to think they've outgrown their neediness? Why do we who depend fully upon God for our eternal salvation, we bring nothing to the table but the need to be saved? Why then do we find it so easy to live independently from him day by day? This glad song, Psalm 40, is oozing with human neediness. And it's shown to us as a praise. It's shown to us as a good thing, not a shameful thing. Look at verse 11. Do not withhold your tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me. Do you hear the desperate need in that? And we've been in the Old Testament long enough now to know that the Hebrew word rendered loving kindness is chesed, right? It doesn't start with a K, and it doesn't start with an H. Somehow it starts with both, right? Chesed. Do you remember that? All the way back in Hosea, months and months and, I don't know, maybe years ago, we saw that. It's a fun word to say, isn't it? It's like chimichanga. Chesed. Chesed. And we're meant to remember that word. It comes up again and again in the Old Testament. The loyal love of God for his own. Don't ever get tired of that word. The loyal love of God for his own. It's a love of his choice, not my merit. Aren't you glad for this? It's God's love for his own chosen people, not all people. Don't get confused about that. It's a loyal love rooted in his nature, not your worthiness, not my performance for him. Let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me, sings David. Do you hear his neediness in this song? And it's praiseworthy. It's not a shameful thing to be needy. David's just been pulled from the horrible pit, the miry clay. His feet had been placed, uh, set upon a rock. He's got solid footing once again, and so off he goes. But no sooner had Yahweh met that need than another need has surfaced. Now that's parenting, isn't it? You go to put the kids to bed and you can't. Why? Well, because they're hungry. You give them a little snack and you put them to bed. They can't sleep. What? Well, now they're thirsty. You shut off the light, but you're not going to sleep. What? They got to go to the bathroom. And that's just one kid. If you got more than one kid, you're in it all night, man. And, you know, we laugh at that. But don't you suppose we're meant to see that and realize that's us with respect to God, our Father? No sooner has he pulled us out of one pit, released us from the grasp of some miry clay, and off we go again. And you know what that is? Normal. That's normal. Who else is perpetually needy like little kids in our homes? You and me. And if you don't agree with me, keep reading. Look at at verse 12. For innumerable evils have surrounded me. How can you live with your eyes open and not see innumerable evils around you? Moms, you're sending your kids out into a world that demands they believe this earth created itself. People actually say that with a straight face. And academic letters behind their names. Believing themselves wise, they became fools. Dad's you're sending your kids out into a world that insists they can choose their own gender or no gender. You can go get a passport right now and decide whether you want to be a man or a woman or both or none. How can you not see innumerable evils around you? And how can you not see as children of God your desperate need for him? Our children are being sent out into a world that hypocritically condemns harassment as well we should, while at the same time it sexualizes women and even children. And nobody sees the duplicity in that, so it seems. Do you think there are innumerable evils surrounding us? And once you get off your high horse looking at all that stuff, you realize, good heavens, what what about the evil yet in me, in my heart? My iniquities have overtaken me, David is singing now, so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head, therefore my heart fails me. This is not Jesus, this is David, Jesus is he who knew no sin. Amen? David knew all about sin. And the thing of it is, is so do you. And so do I. And like David, how can we not be overtaken as we hear the enemy of souls, the accuser of the brethren, accusing us, and everything he says is true? Sometimes it takes your sense of need For the advocate, every day, just to realize how needy you are. Oh, and we have an advocate, don't we? This neediness, listen, this neediness, you're meant to stop pretending you don't have it. And so am I. We are meant to cry out as David did, and even as the greater David did in verse 13, be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. <laughs> what do you suppose the tone of that is? Kind of ho-hum? Yeah, I know I need God. Lord, it'd be nice if you could help, if you've got time. No, there's a, there's a desperation here. A desperation that's born of Humility. Not self-sufficiency, dependency, not, I think I got this. Jesus, not just David, Jesus was needy in his humanity. Did you realize that? You say, be careful now, you're talking about Jesus. I know. This, This is the wonder of the incarnation, isn't it? Did Mary, you suppose, comfort Jesus in his infancy, feed him, see what was going on when he was crying? Neediness is not normally thought of as a virtue, even among church folks like us. That's why we spend great energy, many of us, pretending we're not needy. We can certainly picture somebody else needing us. That's no problem. But us needing them? Us needing God to do a work of help and imparting hope through another person? I don't think so. And yet, who was needy in his humanity Jesus, listen, to be needy is neither a weakness nor a deficiency. To be needy is to be human. It is God's design for humanity. So in God's economy, neediness is not a symptom of weakness or or deficiency. There's nothing wrong with you if you're needy as a child of God. It is a condition of humanity, even perfect humanity. So if you're human, hear this. All of God's kids are needy. We're created to live in absolute dependence Upon him. So it's to live a lie, to live as if this is not so. And this business of my need, his supply, are you still listening? It's all over creation. Little chicks chirp away in a bird's nest, maybe even outside your front door this time of year. They're clamoring for worms they cannot get themselves. Flowers bloom in all of their beauty. Did you get mom flowers today? That's just for free. That's just a tip for some of you. (laughs) Those flowers blooming in all of their beauty. Thanks to a pollination, they did not accomplish on their own. Anchored to soil, they did not create themselves. Our own young children little image bearers of God as they are remind us in so many ways just how dependent we are upon God. To live otherwise, again, is to live a lie. To live independently of God is to defy God's design for humanity. So how can we Bump along in life, acting as if we don't even need each other, let alone need God. You say, well, I don't do that. I'd never do that. But Be careful, I'm setting you up. You know that. Jesus needed in his humanity what only the Father could supply in the strength of the Holy Spirit. Who walked perfectly in the Spirit, in His humanity? Jesus Christ. Think of that phrase we saw earlier. My ears you have opened. Psalm 40, verse 6. You know where else that pops up in Scripture? Anybody? I don't know. In Isaiah... The prophet Isaiah makes much of God the Son, the suffering servant, as you know. That's why it's sometimes called the gospel of Isaiah, right? Um, And it is the suffering servant's words through the prophet Isaiah that helps us see his anticipated dependence upon the Father. Just listen to Isaiah 50, verse 4 and 5. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. Who's saying this? Jesus. The servant, not yet born of a virgin, looks down the long hallway of human history and anticipates his human need for the Father. If I am to speak rightly, I will speak God's word. If I'm to comfort others, I need God's own comfort. If I'm to know truth and obey it, then I need to be awakened morning by morning to fresh communion with my God, energized to hear and obey his voice. This is Jesus. Do you see how need, in this sense, is not a weakness? Not a deficiency. It's a character trait of humanity. So it ought not to surprise us that in the Gospels, we read of Jesus getting up early, before sunrise, getting away from good things, but nonetheless lesser things, so he might be alone with the Father. Listen to Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Now in the morning... Having risen a long while before daylight, Jesus went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Mark's gospel, as you know, is sort of an abridged gospel compared to the other synoptics. And I mention that only to suggest to you that Mark one thirty-five, in addition to describing a solitary occasion, is also representative of the lifestyle of God the Son. In other words, this is just how Jesus functioned in his humanity in dependence upon the Father and the enablement of the Spirit. Jesus regularly needed and unfailingly sought out for himself what only the Father provided him in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's your model. That's my model. Just think about what what, what Mark is saying. This is what we're to do with our neediness. Get up, get away, get alone, get with God. When? Every day. All the time. Listen, if Christ, in his perfect humanity, needed communion with the Father, an enablement from the Spirit to live out the will of God perfectly as he did. What do you suppose that says about you and me? Israel's King David, a man after God's own heart, well-supplied, rich by human measures— knew that his reign as God's king over Israel was an utterly dependent one. Utterly dependent upon God. And David's dependence foreshadowed Christ's own dependence upon the Father as he carried out in his humanity the redemptive work that he was ordained to carry out for us. You still with me? This is all over the Bible. Here's another verse from your New Testament, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, uh, that you through his poverty might become rich. What is Paul doing? Well, he's, he's highlighting to the Corinthians the cross of Jesus, to encourage them in their daily living, in particular, the call to be generous in in giving. But but in doing so, Paul is pointing to the life of Christ. What what was Jesus' poverty? Well, it wasn't just leaving the, the riches and glory of heaven, if you will, but also taking upon himself infinite God, immeasurable God, omnipotent God, taking upon himself humanity. Jesus exchanges our poverty for his riches every time we draw near to him just as he drew near to the Father. You see, he's he's cut a trail for us. He, he's, he's marked a path for us to follow. All of us who pretend we're not needy. Who live the lie that we can do the work of God without God. And if any of us is here this morning saying, well, I, I don't think that's the case at all. Could it be that you're not even doing the work of God? I'm just spitballing here. When Jesus, when we come to him humbly in prayer, hungry for his word, when our feet actually follow hard after him, when we live by obedience to his instruction, not living by lies, as David said earlier in this psalm, we live with attentiveness to his unction. I mean, just the pull of the Spirit A saved person knows what that is. Christ is rich in power, rich in wisdom, rich in strength, rich in perseverance, rich in faith. And he shares those riches with you. Turns out you need all of that stuff every day. And so do I. Notice that neediness drips from these closing verses of Psalm 40. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and brought to mutual confusion who seek to destroy my life. Let them be driven backward and brought to dishonor who wish me evil. Let them be confounded because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified." Just think about this. How in the world will the Lord be magnified in a life like yours? Do you think you might need help with that? Supply for that? How in the world will worldly people be made ashamed of their mocking the ways of God's people? Because they see in the lives lives of God's people the rightness of God's ways. That's meant to be our witness in this world. I think we need help with that. I think we're needy if we're to embrace that commission from God. I wonder, church, how much would we have to stop doing as Hayden Bible Church if we omitted from our activities everything done in our own strength? Picture what that might be like. How much of our activity as a church would remain if we kept only that which required the enablement of God? Do you know what we're meant to do with God's enablement? Everything. Everything. Some of you have a little note in your Bible that tells you that verses 13 through 16, the verses we just read, are repeated almost verbatim in Psalm 70. It's really striking. Why is there such repetition, do you suppose, in the Psalter? Repetition is really common in the Psalter. Did David, you know, like your pastor, have a hard time coming up with new material? Was that, is that the deal? It's just recycled stuff. No, this is the Word of God. This is the heart of God for His people. God's people always need to be reminded of their absolute dependence on Him. Why? Because the first thing we do is deny it. And we never deny it intellectually. And we would never deny it theologically, because that's just not churchy. We won't even forget to sing about it. But in the quiet of our own lives, in the privacy of our own hearts, how many of us would have to admit, that's kind of my deal? And the good news is what? So much of the pressure, the trials, the tribulations of God's people, have to do with this business of him getting our attention, awakening us to our need for him. Do you realize that your elders here at HBC continually must fight off the lie that we can serve God without his enablement? Well, I've preached a message before. Surely I'll be able to do that again. I've counseled before. Surely this will be no different than the last time. Yes, the church is growing and we're, we're, we're putting people in, in every closet and corner we can think of in this place. We'll figure it out ourselves. We'll be able to supply what's needed, no problem. Do you know what that is? That's stupidity. And, and it's an offense to God. So our home flock leaders, our worship leaders, our missionaries, our our children's ministers, God's people always face the lie that God's work can be done without God. It's a lot easier to preach dependency upon God than it is to live it. And don't we know, most of us by experience, that it's even easier to fake dependency upon God than it is to live it. Are you hearing this? So you might just ask yourself, in the quiet of your own conscience, am I dependent upon God day by day? Is the cry of David's heart Your heart cry. But I am poor and needy. Yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay. Oh my God. Notice that it is to the poor and the needy. That blessing is promised. And so poverty of spirit. Don't miss this. Poverty of spirit is not a curse. It's a blessing. I am poor and needy. Yet the Lord thinks upon me. God promises his full attention and blessing to those who admit their neediness and depend upon him. Don't be too proud to cry out to God in your need to live the life God has called you to live. And there's the rub. Are you living the life God has called you to live? To live by the lie of self-sufficiency. Think about this. It isn't just that it's not recommended. It actually nauseates our Savior Jesus. It makes him want to throw up. And if you don't believe me, listen to Revelation 3. Jesus says to a self-sufficient church in Laodicea, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Who is Jesus talking to here? Church people. Church people half-heartedly going through the motions, saying to themselves and to one another, I got this. We got this. God's work is a dependent work. It's not something that is done by mere experience or familiarity. Moms, think about that. As you're loving those little ones in Jesus' name as you're embracing the very difficult commission of being the fragrance of Christ to them in your home, you think you might need help with that. Does it ever seem to you that yesterday's (laughs) workout isn't the same as today's? The scenery keeps changing, doesn't it? It's almost as if it's designed that way. Poverty of spirit is a blessing. Think think of the Beatitudes. What did Jesus say? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There it is again. You are saved by a work of the spirit making you aware of your neediness before God. But don't miss this. We are sanctified through the same disposition. What could be more hopeful? Amen. Let's just end with this eventually. What could be more more hopeful? What could be more helpful to you than to know the Lord thinks upon me? Circle that in your friend's Bible because they need to remember this. Don't take it from me. There's another witness in the room here. This is important stuff. Yet the Lord thinks upon me. The God who thought of you in eternity past. The God who thought of you as he took on flesh and and lived in this same sin crazy world uh, that we live in. The God who thought of you as he rose from the dead so that you might live every day with the assurance that one day you will rise never to die again again. This God, this Jesus, thinks of you. When? All the time. He thinks of your struggle to to juggle the great load that it is to be a mom for the glory of God. And every time you bring your neediness to him, he's already thought of it. Did you know that? He's thought of your inability before you realized you had it. And he offers you his ability. He thought of your fears before you even felt them. And offers you the peace of his presence. The security of his sovereign control over everything going on in your life. Nothing's random. It's all under his sovereign control. He's thought of your battle with temptation And he who was tempted himself, yet without sin, empathizes with you and delivers you. He's thought of your struggle to live in subordination to the care of another, a husband perhaps. And he comes to you as one who lived in perfect subordination to the will of the Father. To what extent? Well, doesn't Philippians 2 remind us that he was obedient to the will of the Father all the way to the cross? And he did that for our benefit. Oh, how the Lord thinks upon his children. Do you suppose more of us then need to think deeper thoughts about this business of Getting up and getting away and getting alone, getting with God. He loves to hear his kids say, You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay. Oh, my God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this precious song of dependence upon you. We thank you for its reminder, Jesus, of your great condescension and sacrifice and victory for us as your people. And Lord, in your humanity, in that body prepared for you, you show us what it looks like to depend upon our creator, our God. Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts to humility to not be as those who speak of needing you and yet living otherwise. Let us so embrace your work for us that we cannot help but see just how much we need your supply. And Jesus, we pray this in your precious name.